0: Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at RSCCFamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. Hey, my name is Mark, and I am delighted to be among you today. And I must say that it's been many years since the last time that I was in the city of Rising Sun, right? Long time. Um, when we came, I say we, is because it was me and my wife, we came up here for a visit, and we brought our dog. Yeah, we brought our dog and the the reason we were here at that time is because we came in a little bitty aluminum boat from our house, which was in Petersburg, Kentucky just right across the river right upstream a little bit and it was very daring for us to actually come to rising sun on that occasion because I had so many problems with the boat motor on the back end that I always went upstream Right, Whenever we went on a journey, we went upstream. And that way I figured we could always get back if we had to, you know. And uh, we we, we got really crazy one day and we said, let's try Rising Sun. So we made it down to Rising Sun. But let me tell you, that little motor had a terrible time chugging up river all the way back to Petersburg. But we came and we went and we had a chance to visit you all. And here we are back again after all of these years. And I, I tell you what, we lived in Petersburg because at the time I was teaching at the Cincinnati Christian University. I was there for about 20, 25 years Left there, went to a place called Johnson University down in Tennessee where I was the Dean of Bible and Theology. And let me tell you, there's nothing worse in the world than becoming an academic administrator. Oh my goodness. Anyway, we, no, 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 we, we, enjoy, we enjoyed that for a time. But uh, as the COVID you know, began to, to release its grip and we got loose of that, uh, we launched into a ministry that had really been going on for a very long time. And that was this ministry of taking students over to the lands of the Bible and giving them an experience uh, in reading Bible in the land. And uh, one student aptly said one time, you know, as a result of this experience, I now see the Bible in 3D. Yeah, 3D. And so, you know, it's been, it's been on my heart for a long time. And um, we've been able to, to realize that just this year. And uh, we've got a full slate of trips going. We're going to go to t- Greece. Greece. We're going to go to Turkey. We've got cruises going. We've got like 15 different trips going to Israel. It's really busy. It's breaking loose. And uh, I just say this because now is my commercial moment. Uh, If you're interested, uh, talk to me afterwards. I left some literature on the table outside, okay? Enough of that. Enough of that. We're going to try to do a little bit of exploring of our own today. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up to the exciting tail end of the book of 2nd Samuel. Yeah, 2nd Samuel chapter 23 is where we're going to be working. And I, I must tell you that the end of 2nd Samuel is probably not a place that you've worked before. We're actually finding our way into the tail end of the book where there's a fair amount of well we might call it footnote material footnote material, but I think there's some really exciting stuff buried in the footnotes, just as there is in so many other corners of scripture. And so we want to be working out of 2 Samuel chapter 23. I'm going to pray, and then we'll we'll launch into this. Sound like a game? Let's do it. Okay. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to meet here today with these lovely people, believers in Jesus. We celebrate that, and we look forward to the time when we'll be together um, with all of the believers that have ever been as we stand before your throne and give praise to you. But in this hour, may we uh, lift our voices together and lift our hearts together, both in worship and in song, and may we be blessed as a result of that experience. All of this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 23, you may see at the very top a kind of a header. And the header that I see on the top of my Bible translation happens to be David's last words. The last words of David the king. And as you read the first, oh, I don't know, seven verses of that chapter... Um, first seven verses of Second Samuel chapter 23, we find there um, a, a poem, and in the poem it celebrates um, the special place of David in the plan um, and in the ministry of, of God's great saving uh, grace to the whole world. We're not going to be Zeroing in on that, but I just want to note it as um, I go by second Samuel chapter twenty three and we're going to skip past those first seven verses and land right there on verse eight, which may not be the most exciting stuff at a glance, but I think as you read the words that we find there with me, you'll see that there's actually a lot here to uh, to be to be sorted, beginning with verse eight and running all the way to the end of the chapter is a list of names. And as you look at this long list of names, I I kinda have the feel that, you know, like at the end of a movie where they roll the credits and they roll um, all those names. What we're seeing here is this book comes to a close, is this list of the supporting cast. David has been the star of 1st and 2nd Samuel but he was not alone. He had a lot of help uh, as he was working to accomplish the things that were before him. Particularly help from this list of men who are in the text called Giborim. Everybody try that. Giborim. Giborim. Gibream. Gibor in Hebrew is the word for a mighty man. Yeah, a mighty one, a powerful one, a warrior. And the plural of gibor is giburim. And this is how verse 8 goes. These are the names of David's giburim, his mighty men, his mighty warriors. And because of their faithfulness, because of their loyalty to the king, and their works of service, these guys are listed here in the credits of Second Samuel chapter 23. Now, if you go over to, to the book of Chronicles, you find a parallel uh, passage. That parallel is found in First Chronicles chapter 11, but we're not going to be bothered by that right now. We're trying to be focused in our comments, so we're just going to zero in on Samuel. And as you zero in and let your eyes sort of just amble through the, the chapter there, you'll find some real corkers among the names. Like, for instance, a guy by the name of Hetzro. How about that? Call your dog Hetzro. Yeah. Or how about Ellie Fellet? That's a good name. That's a corker too. Other names that you find here in the list are familiar. Go to the very last verse of the chapter, verse 39. Do you see that name? Who's that guy? Uriah. Uriah, or Uriah, right? The Hittite. He was one of the Gibrim as well. And we haven't got the time to tell his story or the story of all of the other mighty men, or at least you know, give attention to all of these guys, but maybe we can focus on just a few. No, maybe we can focus on just three. Because of all of the mighty men that are listed here in this chapter, there were three that were the mightiest. They were like the the cream of the cream. They were the top of the line guys. And we meet the first of them there in verse eight. And his name is what? Can you see it there, verse 8? His name is... Yeah, you're saying, how do you pronounce that thing? His name is Yoshev Bashebet. Try it. Yoshev Bashebet. Yeah, Yoshev Bashebet. And Yoshev Bashebet, if you translate that over into English, it might come out something like this. The ambusher. <laughs> the ambusher. I come from the state of Oregon. And if Yoshev by came from the state of Oregon, we would call him the bushwhacker. Yeah, the bushwhacker. He was chief of the three. And what is he remembered for? Well, keep reading. What's it say there? It says that he raised up his spear over against 800 men that were slain at one time. Talk about a hard day at the office. <laughs> Yoshev, Bashebit, the bushwhacker, the first of the three. Who's the second? Oh, you find him down in verse 9. See it there? What's his name? There in verse 9. His name is Elazar. Yoshev, Bashebet, and Elazar. Now, the name Elazar is not as hard as the first one. The name Elazar means something like El or God helps. God helps Elazar. And what is Eleazar remembered for? Well, you can read it there if you keep looking, verses 9 and 10. As the Israelites retreated, from before the Philistine army, it says here that Elazar stationed himself. I love this term that's used right here. It says, he stood his ground. And I want you to put that term or that phrase into your pocket and we're gonna come back to it. But you hang on to it for just a second. And in the second, notice what Elazar is hanging on to. Look there at verse 10 first part of the verse, it says, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines until his, love this stuff, until his hand grew tired and it froze to the sword. Wow, froze to the sword. (laughs) Have, Have you ever hung on to something so tightly for such a long time that even when you wanted to let go, you couldn't? Yeah, that's like me when I was teaching my daughter to drive. <sighs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. No, dear. <laughs> Elazar stationed himself, and he hung onto the sword. And it says here in the text that the Lord honored his action. So who do we got? We got Hosea Shabbat, the ambusher. We got Elazar. God helps. Who's the third of the three? Well, we find his name there in verse 11. Who's the third guy? His name is Shammah. Everybody try that. Shammah. Shamma. Shammah means astonishment. Astonishment is his name. And what astonishing thing did Shamma do? Well, look what it says. Verse 11 When the Philistines, uh, I can't read that. When the Philistines gathered at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand, there's that word again, in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Like Elazar, back in verse, what was that, nine or six or something, like Elazar, Shamma stationed himself in a field, in a field of lentils. Wouldn't you like to know more about the bean field war? We don't know anything about it. But what we do know is what's right here in this footnote. And it says that Shammah drew a line in the sand and that the Lord honored His commitment, amen? Amen, yeah. Well, let me tell you, folks, these three were not wimps. They drank their coffee black. They never ate quiche. And if football would have been around, I'm sure that they would have played defense, probably interior linemen, be my guess. Each was remembered for a particular act of bravery, as is noted here. But it's really what they did together, the three of them, what they did together that really catches our attention. Well, let's keep reading. I'm, I'm in verse 13 now. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief men came down to David at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Ephraim. And at that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. Now, I don't want you to get lost here in some of the detail. Remember, this is a chapter that is full of memories. It's uh, rolling credits at the end of the story. David's memories are being recalled in his last words. Memories from the time after he was a shepherd but before he became king. And the incident that we're remembering right now happened in the days when Saul was king and David was on the run. And he took refuge from Saul whenever and wherever he could. Now at the moment, right here, we find David in a fortified cave that's named Adulam, or the passage That's a pretty good name for a cave. And the passage or the cave was located in the foothills of Judah facing the coastal plain where the Philistines lived. And in this cave, David and his men were hiding. Philistines below, Saul and the Israelites above. And David and his renegade men, his gibberim, were sandwiched between these two great forces. And I say sandwiched because we read here that the Philistines were encamped near the mouth of David's cave in the valley of Ephraim. Rather than attack David frontally in this fortified place, not a good idea, they besieged it, cutting off all of David's supplies, all of his food, all of his water, and their game will starve him out. Maybe even dry him out. <clears throat> I'm getting kind of thirsty. Are you thirsty? I'm getting a little thirsty. Literally between a rock and a hard place. And maybe even with a dry cistern, David had a thought. Look at verse 15. Oh, if if someone would just bring me a drink of Bethlehem water. <laughs> it's a childhood memory, you know. The water always tastes better at home, doesn't it? Yeah. There were just a few problems with David's thirsty wish. First, if we're right about the siege, the Philistines had the place surrounded. They wouldn't take kindly to folks, you know, sauntering in and out. I mean, that sort of defeats the whole purpose of the siege. Second, the journey between the cave, the place where David was, and Bethlehem was very distant. And you can trace it if you open up a map, if you go over to the land and begin to feel it out with your own legs. As a bird flies, it was about 15 to 20 miles one way. So to go there and back makes for a very long marathon. As a balloon flies up and down vertically, it's about 2,500 feet of elevation gain, roughly a half a mile straight up. Marathon, half a mile. That's a problem. Third, assuming that that ground could be covered, there was one other problem facing, you know, the fetching of the water. According here to the text, it says Bethlehem was a fortified town. That means it was an occupied garrison and it was the Philistines that occupied it. If it had a gate, it also had a wall and a door, which would have been locked up at night. Are you getting the picture yet? Yeah, pretty clear. Forty miles, round trip, full mile, up and down. Enemy citadel at the end of the road. <laughs> oh, for a drink of Bethlehem water, David mused. You can't be serious, David. You're delirious down here in the cave. <laughs> but you know what happened? Yeah, cue the music. Bump bump bum, 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 bump bump. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, it's Mission Impossible, if case you can't recognize my tune. Bum, 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 Yeah, Mission Impossible. And you know what's coming. You know what's coming. Look at verse 16. What's it say there at the beginning of verse 16? It says there at the beginning of verse 16, I can't find it, there it is. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it, back to David. They did it. They pulled it off. These dudes were ninjas. This would make a movie, I'm sure of it. The Mission Impossible was made possible. It it, it happened. And we don't know how. There are no details here. We don't know, you know, there's no elaboration as to how they managed to pull this thing off. All we know is the success. Of Yoshev, Bashebet, Elazar, and Shamma, the three. Ooh. You know, this short episode gives us some details into the lives of these men. But you know what else? It might just give us some notion as to what it takes to be enrolled in the ranks of the mighty men or the mighty women. Let me highlight just two things as we think about the possibility of mighty men and mighty women today. And here's the first. Remember, I told you to put it in your pocket. Mighty men and mighty women are willing to take a stand. They're established. They're rooted. And we see this specifically in the examples of Yoshev, Bashebet Eleazar, and Shammah. Mighty men and mighty women say, here is the limit. Here's where it's going to stop. No more. You probably know, and I know as well, that people of conviction and people of principle are rare birds. Especially in this time and place when black and white is demonized, the world celebrates the gray. And, and I pray that we as God's people here and now, as God's mighty men and women in this generation, I pray that we have enough sense to choose our battles wisely. We have to be clear-eyed enough to distinguish between what is tradition or what is pride, what is our own agenda, and therefore movable, and what is the timeless values of the kingdom of God. One of these is opinion. One of these is identity. Here we move, and here we do not. Here we flex, here we hold. You know, in the New Testament, we discover instruction and encouragement toward this idea of taking a stand. Romans 14 is absolutely critical in this, and maybe I can just and I'll pitch it to you as a homework assignment for later on. Romans chapter 14, it's worth a slow read. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, it's very clear that it is the Lord who establishes us. And it's the Lord who gives us reason to stand. And so we find in the text of the New Testament some instruction about taking a stand. We also find encouragement, and there's plenty of it, I'm thinking right now, just because we're kind of in this hand to hand combat text, I'm thinking particularly of Ephesians chapter 6. Remember the, 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 the armor of God? Be strong in the Lord, says the Apostle Paul. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, be established. Mighty men and mighty women take their stand with the Lord's help. They know where truth lies, they know where their power comes from, and they grip their sword to the point, maybe, when it freezes in their hand. But besides being willing to to take a stand, there's another thing here that I'll pull out and throw at you, and then we'll be done. Mighty men and mighty women are eager to please their king. (laughs) Can you imagine how David felt when he woke up in the morning? And there's the three standing over the top of his sack, right? Breathing heavy. (laughs) Maybe they're a little bit bloody. Maybe there's sweat coming off the top of the head. Maybe they're dirty. And a trickle of Bethlehem water is running down the arm of one of them as he holds up this goatskin canteen and he says to David you know where this came from <laughs> David must have been as proud as punch and it's no wonder that he remembered this story all the way to the end of his life and that it surfaces right here in the the footnotes in the you know the credits of his of his memory I can imagine that this was a story that David probably told his kids and his grandkids over and over again. Oh no, Grandpa, not again. (laughs) The three took great personal risks in order to fetch that water. But you know what? For the mighty men, for the mighty ones, the reward of serving outweighs the risk. You can run that idea, too, all the way through the texts, the pages of the Old Testament and into the pages of the New. Of course, our king isn't under siege today, is he? (laughs) Or is he? He doesn't ask for a drink of water today. Does he? Or does he? Remember, if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple. I tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. Wow. It's interesting, isn't it? The mighty serve their king by serving others. Footnote, Romans chapter 14. Strong, careful, look out. Don't let the weak stumble. (laughs) Well, what do you suppose David did? He was holding the skin up in the air. Don't, don't you imagine David just grabbed it and just chugged it down, right? Chugged the whole thing right in there. Mmm, that was good. No, 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 that isn't what happened. Look at it. It says there, the second part of 16, but he, that is David, refused to drink it. And instead, he poured it out. Before the Lord. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Now, let me tell you, this is one strange conclusion. (laughs) After all those risks that those men took, after all that effort, he just pours it out on the ground. (laughs) Can I suggest to you something? Let me suggest to you that by pouring the water out on the ground, David was not making light of their gift. No, just the opposite. The language that's actually used here suggests that this water was poured out to God as a drink offering. Sure, he was thirsty. Yeah. But he sacrificed this special gift to God, because only his king was worthy of this kind of expense. Wow. We need to tie a string around this. You know, it's not recorded, and we have no way of gauging it, but David must have have made quite an impression on the men, on the three He was an example to that generation, the ultimate example, I suppose, in some ways, of what it means to be a a mighty man. And it's in this context that I go in the end to the book of Psalms, if you want to go there. Look at Psalm chapter 57, or Psalm 57. It's an interesting text. If you look at the heading in Psalm 57, The small print there, it says a couple of things. It says, for the director of music, blah, 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 blah. But notice this line. It says, when he had fled, that is, when David had fled from Saul into the cave. Into the cave. Huh. It's in this context that Psalm 57 may be rooted It doesn't have all the ninja stuff of 2 Samuel, and yet it reveals the most important part of the mighty man or the mighty woman, the heart. Notice how it plays out. I read verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. For in you my soul takes refuge. And skip down to verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens and your faithfulness to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And may your glory be over all of the earth or perhaps all of the ground. And I can envision in my imagination the words of this psalm being pronounced as the three, along with those who were with David in the cave, look down at a wet spot on the floor. Only God, only God is worthy of this kind of gift. Will you pray with me? We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to look into your word and to think about what it takes to be a mighty man, what it takes to be a mighty woman. And I know, Father, that we so often fall short of that mark, that we do not see ourselves um, in this way. And therefore, I pray, Father, for strength to grip our sword to grip your truth, I pray, Father, for patience, and I pray for wisdom that we might know and we might choose our battles carefully. Thank you, Father, for the encouragement that is given to us from this text, and bless us as we strive to be your people in this time and in this place. All of this I pray in Jesus' precious name. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.